mind is, in a sense, potentially whatever is thinkable. Though actually it is nothing until it is thought. What it thinks must be in it, just as characters may be said to be on a writing tablet on which as yet nothing stands written. This is exactly what happens with mind. Nothing, Aristotle said, is in the mind until something outside writes on that mind. Hmm, really? The modern idea of the theory is attributed mostly to John Locke's expression of the idea in Essay Concerning Human Understanding. In Locke's philosophy, tabula rasa was the theory that at birth the human mind is a blank slate without rules for processing data and that data is added and rules for processing data are formed solely by one's sensory experiences. Solely by our sensory experiences. Are we born blank? Is who we are just an accidental result of what happened around us? Okay, no, it's nuts. <laughs> Anyone who's seen a baby has seen that that child has personality. He or she is who they are, well, before they're even born. And if people paid attention to the source, they'd know that Locke never married, never had kids, doesn't seem to spend any time around kids, but he was an expert. <laughs> the truth is that the blank slate theory is experientially scientifically and, most importantly, biblically untrue. But Locke was one of the great philosophers of his age. Aristotle was one of the greatest of the ages. What do we do with these guys? By the way, Locke, you'll love this. Locke also believed that we have been sent into the world by God's order and about his business. We are his property whose workmanship we are made to last during his, not one another's, pleasure. So here's a guy who firmly believed that we were created by God for a purpose that is his and we are to live at his pleasure, not our own or anyone else's. And yet he extended Aristotle's thought to the point that he believed people were born without any personality or any tendency towards evil or good. You know, what a tremendous contradiction. I mean, it's amazing. Well, the greater your mind, the more you can do with it, I guess. <laughs> but I can tell you as a father of three, like any parent or grandparent, that they were all who they were the moment they took their first breath. They didn't know it, but they were. They even moved their hands. I noticed all three of our kids, they moved their hands in a way that they still do now 30 years later. It's amazing. There's some fascinating studies of identical twins that were separated at birth. In one, these two men, I think I have everything correct, they were raised in very different environments, very different environments, but they had almost identical lives. They wore the same kind and color of clothes. They married women who looked almost identical. Amazing. They bought the same brand of cars. They even both smoked, and they both smoked the same brand of cigarette. Okay? I, there was a host of these amazing similarities. Never, ever met each other. Didn't even know they had a brother, let alone a twin brother. And yet their personalities, their lives were very, very similar. Now, I know. We want to think that we are somehow, we have this great control over who we are. <laughs> 
But the truth is, most of who we are is set at conception, our personality, our person. Now, what we do with that, well, we won't talk about that too much today. But anyway, it's true, some of what we are is cultural, it's learned. Uh, You know, what side do you put the steering wheel on? Okay, that, you know. Do we use silverware or chopsticks? That's one. Do we speak English, German, or Chinese? You know, what do we do? And who carries out the garbage? By the way, that's actually apparently universal. Everybody in every culture, I've talked to missionaries, so always the guy, just do it guys, just carry out the garbage, forget it, it's not worth the argument. Anyway, but the point is <laughs> that there are many things outside of us that do affect us, change who we are to some degree, but most of who we are is set at birth. And this is actually a good thing. And in particular, as it relates to knowing how to live our faith. I'll show you. You see, we began to exist the moment our parents' chromosomes came together. Exactly as God designed us. Who we are as persons was created in that moment. But it was different for exactly one human being. Who Jesus was and is, the person, his person was fixed from all eternity. The person of the human man Jesus was and is the person of the eternal Son. When Jesus was born, he was the person of the Son, even though he didn't know it. And 30 years later, when he prayed, it was the person of the Son that was praying. Yes, in his human form, with all its limitations. But the person is the Son. I'll let you take just a moment to let that amazing truth sink in. And yet, there's a very real sense in which Jesus is like us and we like him. The character of the Son is made evident in the man Jesus. His likes, his dislikes, his desires, his tendencies, his loyalties, his care, his dedication and commitment, his honor, his love, his person. So how is this possible? (laughs) Because, you know, I'm not trying to pound this into your heads or anything. Okay, maybe I am. Trying to pound this into your heads, but it's important. The man, Jesus, is the person of the Son. So let's listen once again we did a few weeks ago, to the person of the Son praying. Listen for who he is as a person in human form as he prays. But listen to and for the person. We can actually hear God when Jesus speaks. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. 
and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Hmm. As we read this prayer, the truth that Jesus is the person of the Son, God, it's overwhelming. (laughs) So much so that we can forget He was also a man as He prayed this. A specific person in human form. But Jesus was a first century Jewish man. And he prayed like one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. This was the common posture for prayer in that culture. We bow our heads to pray. (laughs) Many, uh, most Jewish men of that day would pray looking up. That's how they did it. As we read this, this verse, we recognize that Jesus, as a man, had a job to do for his heavenly Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. But let's not forget, he also accomplished the work of his earthly father. As his Jewish culture expected, he became a carpenter and he worked in the family business for two decades. He had specific work he was to do. We have specific work we are to do. And Jesus was very much a Jewish male, but his person was already set at conception. And that was the person of the Son, which which he had always been. 
That is to say, the son had always been who he was. He, as a person, had always existed as the divine God. There is only one person, yet there is both his divine nature and his human nature. So who he is must be expressed in human form. With all the limits with which we are so familiar... And I know, I know, how how could the infinite person of the Son ever be expressed in human form? How could a human form even contain him? How could a human even be aware that his person was that of the eternal Son? How could the human brain handle this? In an email exchange to Dr. Jack Wilsey, he wrote this to me. Probably no one knows how to frame the answer to Christ's messianic self-knowledge. As God, he obviously always knew. The question really isn't whether his human nature knew, since natures don't know anything. The one person knew what the person knew. The issue is what was contained in his brain, which is finite. How that relates to the whole issue of mind isn't understood even in a single nature, normal type humans. There is a definite enigma here that I don't think can be cracked. (laughs) Even today, his brain can't contain all that his mind knows. That makes my head hurt. (laughs) I love that. One of the greatest theological minds in the world today gets a headache thinking about this. You know, what are we to do? Well, I'm pleased to tell you that dealing with this truth is not so complex as it sounds. First, we need to accept that our Lord, the person of the Son, creator of all things and redeemer of our souls, was in fact perfectly expressed in human form. All his essential traits were displayed in staggeringly constricted form, yes. But all that he is as a person was expressed in the man Jesus of Nazareth. So we need only look at the work, and today the words, of Jesus to learn who the Son is. After all, we are very limited, finite, so so we can understand no more than a human expression of the Son. But what a glorious expression it is. So let's look at this human expression of the Son in his prayer and discover some more of the nature of the Son and maybe some of who we should be because of the Son. The writer to the Hebrews we quoted before said Jesus could endure the cross because of the joy that would come after it. In his prayer, Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Part of the glorification of the Son was the cross. Jesus asked the Father to put him through the cross and beyond so that he could give glory to the Father. Jesus understands that doing what you do for others leads to joy and to others caring for you. There's a great amount of teaching in this throughout the Scripture, but look at the numerous examples of it in just this prayer. I have glorified you in earth. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence. I have manifested your name. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from them. I have given them the words that you gave me. They have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. And I am glorified in them. I ask that they may all be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them 
so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. I have made known to them your name. The love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There's always this interplay. The Son is a person who gives himself away for others, regardless of which nature you consider, by the way. And he calls us to do the same. Jesus knew his mission as a human being, which had reached its culmination. He said it. He was to give eternal life. That's why the Father sent him. And it will bring glory to the Father. The Son is a person with a mission. And we, too, should know we are a people with a mission to bring hope to others, the hope of eternal life. The Son is also a person who manifests the Father to the right people. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And he's still doing it. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. The Son is a person who gave his disciples the Father's words and gives all those words through the work of the disciples who gave us his words, the New Testament, well, really the whole Bible. We need to be a people who share these words with others. Side note, if you don't read the Bible, you can't share it with other people. So, <laughs> get a Bible reading checklist. Okay. The Son is a person who prayed for his disciples and who prays for us and still does. Jesus Christ is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? If the prayers of the Son keep us so securely with him, should we not be a people who pray for one another? Related to this is the truth that the Son is a person who keeps, that is, holds in good stead, in safety, his disciples with the Father. He guards, protects from harm, his own, and still does. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Should we not be a people who keep and guard our brothers and sisters in Christ? The Son is a person whose words bring joy to those who will hear Him. In fact, our joy can only be full in Him. These things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Can we not be a people who tell others the source of so great a joy? <laughs> now, here's, here's one that's a little roundabout for us. The Son is a person not of this world, but he set himself apart for his work in this world. And he calls us to be a people that set themselves apart from this world and its style of life to do his work. We find in verses 20 and 21 that the Son is a person who uses agents, the apostles, and the church 
Are we his agents here? We should be. Now, it might be easier to do if we recognize this. The Son is a person who shares his glory with us and for us so that we can experience something of the nature of his unity with the Father. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. That we may be one as God the Father and Son are one. We may be one as God the Father and God the Son are one. Wow. And we'll need to be, for the Son is a person who wants to share his heart with us forever. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Well, that should take your breath away. (laughs) We get to be with him forever. But all this, everything we talk about, every attribute of the person of the Son exists because the Son is a person who loves. Not just feeling or emotion, not primarily feeling or emotion. He's a person who lives in love. A person who lives love. The Son is a person who loves us. And I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The Son is a person who loves us so much that he poured his life into ours. He gives himself to us. He sacrifices himself for us. He completed his mission for us. He manifested the Father to us. He prays for us. He keeps us and protects us. His words give us joy. So he sets himself apart for us. He will share his glory with us so we can experience some of the unity he shares with the Father and live with him forever. We are to live in love as he does, for the Son is a person of active love, just as we are to be a people of productive, purposeful love. Well, Jesus was born a specific person for a specific purpose. You were born a specific person for a specific purpose. We need to live as we, as specific persons, are supposed to live. When you were born, you were a specific person, even though you didn't know that you were. But here's something you might not have thought about. When you were born again, if you have trusted Jesus Christ and you were born again, you were born a specific person for a specific purpose. At that point, you became a new creation in Christ. A specific person for a specific purpose. And the truth is, we don't really know who we are yet <laughs> in this new life. We're like tiny little kids. We don't even know who we are, but we are who we are. And one day we will know what that means. For now, the most important point to remember is that you were born a specific person for a specific purpose. And you were born again a specific person with a specific Purpose. So don't live life accidentally. (laughs) Don't. 
Live your life on purpose. Live as the human being born and born again that God made you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much. You made us and You made us again. And each time You took specific care to make us just who we're supposed to be. And somehow, which we don't really quite understand, some part of that, there's something that theologians call free moral agency. Whatever it means that we have some ability to take what You've given us and do something with it. First, we have the ability to become born again. To admit that we need help. We're sinners. We just are not going to make it on our own. To believe that Jesus Christ died for us and that He can and will and wants to save us. And then to commit our lives to Him absolutely and completely. Give Him everything we are. We can all admit and believe and commit. And then You make us new again. A new creation with a new purpose and a new life that we don't really know yet. Even the Apostle wrote, what we are to be we don't yet know, but when we see Him, when we see Jesus, then we'll know because we will become like Him. Wow. Amazing truth. Father, right now, help us to live as You made us to live. Not just the first time, but in the second birth as well. Help us to live that way and care, care and give ourselves away to be like Jesus was. Help us love to do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.